Hey, this is Tim McGregor, and I'm the pastor of LOH Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. I announced, I think it was um, the Sunday before last, that we were closing the series, The Life and the Glory, on that Sunday. But I also then uh, came up with another message as I was kind of closing that idea and I was looking through some things and reading some of the uh, nativity passages and and these thoughts came to me and I thought, I'm going to have to add another one. So for those of you who are here this morning, you get the extended version, the director's cut. So you know how you can buy, you know, and you get the extra and you didn't even have to pay more, but you're going to get it today. Not get, you're not going to get you're going to get the extra today. So this is formally the last message in the series, The Life and the Glory. I want to talk today about the parents that pass on the blessing. And I'm going to say this again next Sunday, and I've said it a lot of times, but I mean it. I have one leg, one foot in, na- in the now, and one foot 20 years from now. Um, God started doing that in my life about, I don't know, 10 years ago. And it's not, and, and, it's, and it's a passion that, that I can't shake. I don't want to shake uh, a mandate of wanting to see um, those kids uh, that go downstairs on Sunday morning and are the, the, some of them are in here right now being held by grandma and grandpa or mom, dad. I want the blessing that I've known in my life and that you know in your life to be on them now. And then after we have gone off into the sunset, or maybe a new sunrise, um, this gospel uh, community will be stronger then than it is now. That is the passion in my heart. In order for that to happen, it has a lot to do with the parents that have been in this church, that are in this church, and will be in this church. And so it's about passing on the blessing to future generations. Today what we're going to do is we're going to survey passages in Matthew and Luke, and we're going to pick up, if you will, the living, breathing breadcrumbs, guideposts, left behind by Joseph and Mary and see in their lives uh, how you pass on the blessing. Now, when I say Joseph and Mary, um, we're, we're sort of conditioned to, to not see them as real people, right? They're like, they're little cutouts that are under the trees and there are these plastic lit things out in people's yards and and, and all we know about them is they're in the hay and we p- maybe picture Joseph cutting a piece of wood or something. And other than that, and we've romanticized them to the point that they're almost mythical. And so when I say those guys and, and that gal modeling parenting to us, it's like, what? I mean, they were like Bible perfect people. I mean, how? No, they were human. They were really human. And they were as human as you and I. Um, Mary needed a savior. Sorry, Mary even said it out of her mouth. She needed a savior too. 
They were chosen by God in his grace. And they had a great, can you imagine the responsibility that they felt on their shoulders and in their heart? Well, here is something that we need to take to heart. As parents, God has given us no less of a responsibility with our kids than he gave to Mary and Joseph. That's what we're going to talk about. In a sense, as parents, we need to see that how they lived their life, just in the small passages we have of them, God challenges us, as the Hebrew writer says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There are promises in the Bible, Old and New Testament, where God himself promises that our children can be established before the Lord. Not that they will, but they can be. And we partner with him in that. And by partnering with him in that, there is the possibility that our kids can grow in grace, in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and people. If we partner with him in that, our kids, our grandkids, can make full proof of their lives as they live out their days that they can actually experience what Psalm 103 says God has for all of us. Before one day of my life existed, you ordained the days of my life in a book. I don't necessarily know if that means that he knows the next time I'm going to go to uh, Walmart and which aisle I'm going to check out my stuff in. I don't think it means that as much as it means there are God moments throughout Tim McGregor's life that I have ordained before he was born that he walks in them. And same for you, same for me, same for all of us, and those little tots that just tore out of here. So let's look at these passages today. And let's start with Joseph. We're going to look at Joseph, we're going to look at Mary, then we're going to look at them both together. And let's just get started. The only thing that we really know about Joseph is that he was a carpenter. Um, when Jesus is starting his ministry and he's in his hometown, they say, is not this the carpenter's son? Right? So that's what we know. We don't know if he was a good carpenter. He, you know, you know it, it doesn't say he was a good, he might have been a bad carpenter. We don't know. I mean, he may have had people going, you know what, man? You really messed my roof up, dude. You know what, man? Or it could have been, hey, there's nobody like Joseph's Construction Company. We don't know. But we know he was a carpenter. That's all we know. But in light of that, here's the first thing I want us to see. Joseph the carpenter started with the right house plan. If he built a house, he was going to build it the right way. But I'm talking about the real house plan. It's not the roof over your head. It's about the household. It's about the people in it. It's about your kids, my kids. Joseph the carpenter started with the right, and notice I have in, Itali I have in 
parentheses there, um, right. There, right. I want you to think, isn't the, uh, do you have a passion for right over wrong? Do you have a passion for, uh, for things going right? Right? So do I. You want to right the ship and right the nation and right politics and right all, all that? What's the right way? All that? You can do right the wrong way. When Joseph had a house plan, it was constructed the right way. And I want to show you this, this in the scriptures. Matthew starts and he says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, uh, let's go. When, when, when Mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. The word betrothed I've highlighted there because when, when people get engaged today, ever heard of anyone breaking the engagement? Right? Well, in today, you, you know, that could be a bad thing or it could be a good, a wise thing. Um, but if t someone breaks an engagement today uh, out of, say, presumed um, unfaithfulness, Relationally, even to the point where unfaithful in a sexually unfaithful way, you, the next thing you, do, you, you don't hear is, uh, yeah, we're, we're bringing up that person on charges of adultery and uh, uh, execution. In this period of time, betrothal was like marriage. And they were under the law of Moses, and an adulteress under the law of Moses was not only be ostracized, but could possibly be executed. So, when betrothal is spoken here, there is a weighty, weighty word and a mindset that, that's being impressed. Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. And come together means more than they just kind of came together. It means before they consummated their marriage, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read all, the gospel, all of the other passages about this time, you'll notice that it doesn't give a time span between the time she was found to be pregnant and people bought into, and very few did, let's just stay with Joseph. It doesn't give us the time span between the time Mary was found to be with child and all that Joseph knew was what it wasn't his. And doing the math of that means it was somebody else's, right? And again, we're talking in the idea here, this is like doing something out of wedlock We don't know the timestamp. How would you feel, Dad? How would you feel, dude? How would you feel about right? And Joseph, her husband, because you were seen as a husband there, they weren't married yet, but they were betrothed, and it was like that. And it says this, and Joseph, her husband, now notice this, being a righteous man, Look at this kind of righteousness. Remember, we're talking about Joseph building his house the right way. And Joseph being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her. Hmm, do you ever think of right and wrong in that term? 
not disgracing people with your rightness. And a rightness that's not about the nation, but it's about your pain, your situation that you were put into because of somebody's unrightness or something this deep and thi this, this situation. I don't want to ask you if you've ever been there. But Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly or privately. Let's talk about that. We're talking about framing a household as Joseph with a right house plan. It's the way Joseph did right. It's the kind of right that Joseph framed his family with. I, uh, I went to a Christian college and uh, there were kids that came out of their, home, out of their Christian homes and uh, lived up, up, up in this part of the world and other parts of the United States and, and headed to sunny central Florida, which I'll tell you what, uh, the Holy Spirit is all about going to sunny central Florida to go to Bible school, I'm telling you that. At least I felt so anyway. That's not why I went, but it, it was, there were some perks involved. And uh, one of them was it was in sunny central Florida. And you were swimming in the Gulf in February while you guys were doing the zero and 16 below stuff up here. And I felt the Holy Spirit on that every day. <laughs> but there were all kinds of kids there. And I, I had a lot of friends from a lot of different backgrounds, pastor's kids, missionary kids, and, and just church kids. And not in every case, but in some cases, you could tell in relationship as friends with some of these kids that the rightness in their home was a rigid righteous, not a Joseph one. One of my buddies that I met in my freshman year, going into our sophomore year, I like to get down early and get there so that everybody's coming and you're greeting everybody they come in and who's rooming with who and you're in the, snooping into everybody's business. Hey, you're back, yay! And one of my buddies, his father was pastor. And I'll never forget this. We were standing in the quad and he, and he, and he took his son by the shoulders, not hard, but just and looked at him and he named his name and he said, now whatever you do, don't transgress. And I remember being about, you know, I was new at this whole God thing and church thing and ministry thing and I'm there and, and I, I remember going, that's the weirdest thing I ever heard a parent say to somebody, don't transgress. Well, and I know this does not happen in every case, but in this guy's case, my friend's case, because of that influence and that kind of way, he, he had a nervous breakdown and uh, had to leave school and never overcame that nervous breakdown. It got worse and my buddy took his life a few years ago. Now that's a bad case. And not everybody's gonna end up doing that. But there is a rigid kind of righteousness in the name of God that can take your life out of you and take the life out of your family and take the life out of your church, and take the life out of your preaching, and take the life out of your youth ministry, and take the life out of your marriage, and take the life out of your kids in the name of right.
But Joseph being a righteous man, and he did not compromise God's truth, but the way he didn't compromise God's truth was different. Here's the next verse, and we're st let's stay with this thought. Watch Joseph walk this out. We're still on point one, guys. Good. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph needed a little help, right? But do you know that before the angelic revelation, he had already purposed to do right the right way? So even if he wouldn't have had the angel's revelation, he was going to do right the right way. Hey, you with me on this? Got it? And he woke up from his sleep, and look at this. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. Mm. But, the, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And in that culture, the, the dad named the son. But you know he named the son what the angel told Mary to name the son? There's a lot going on here about rightness and about manhood and about position and place and patriarchy. There's a lot here about a righteousness from God. And I want to go on to say that the way he walked out obedience to God's word was Part of the natural reason why when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he is manifesting, his manifesto, if you will, is in total contrast to the experts in the law, the scribes and the Pharisees. And he actually says, you have heard it said, don't murder. But I say, if you dishonor your brother, if you call them idiot, if you call them worthless, you are guilty of hell. He took righteousness to a level and, 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 and hit the bullseye with it. This right before God thing you're all talking about and passionate about, you cannot extract it from relational rightness. This is how Joseph framed his family. Point two. That point right there is a series, right? And I really struggled with this because every one of these points is a series. And what I'm just giving you is, you, if, if, if your kid fulfilling the destiny of God is, 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 is the most important thing in your parenting, you won't forget this when you leave today because your heart will go after what it treasures. And that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to unload the biggest load of wood and dump it right in your yard at your feet. And you got to load it up, stack it, and burn that baby. And I'll tell you what, this is good wood. Number two, Joseph the carpenter had a reliable measuring stick. He framed his house the right way. 
and had a reliable measuring stick. Look at this. Um, yeah, you guys are great. Obeying clear instructions, navigating toward nurturing. His obedience was about doing clearly, not commentary on what God told him to do, not picking and choosing, clear instruction, and then the navigation of that obedience was with the passion about nurturing. So a, a high quality level of rightness in the house and a house where a nurturing environment is a massive influence. Watch this. Now when they had gone, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up. Joseph, man. He got up and he took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there. He remained there. He stayed. He, he remained in the position of obedience to what the clear instruction was. He remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. You know what? I, I doubt very much that Joseph saw what he was doing as fulfilling prophetic scripture. I doubt it very much if he even had a clue that his just doing what he was supposed to do was fulfilling prophetic scripture. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, now notice this nurturing idea, took the child and his mother and he came into the land of Israel. But when he heard, and it doesn't say he heard this from God, it doesn't say he heard it from an angel, it just says he heard. The news in the land was Archelaus was reigning in Judea and that was, uh, that was Herod's son and he was as crazy as a loon too. And he knew that Herod tried to kill his son. And I'm sure he thought like father, like son. And so what does he do? He's afraid to go there. That's a good fear. That's a good fatherly nurturing fear. Afraid to put your kid in danger. Then, after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. That's way up in the north. As far away from Archelaus as he could get up into a place called Nazareth, which, if you read other parts of the gospel, nobody thought anything was going on in Nazareth. Right? There's some towns near us. I'm not going to name names of what they are. But, you know, um, some people would ne not necessarily the think that the next president of the United States is going to come from Paw Paw, West Virginia. I'm, I mean, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, if I'm going to gamble... My retirement, I'm going to gamble, and I'll put her out there. I might keep a couple bucks back in case I miss it, but I'm going to gamble that the next 10 presidents aren't coming from Paul Paul. I'm just going to say that. And that's the point I'm making here about this. Joseph got as far away from where everything is and where, where everything's known, as far away as possible, to nurture his son in safety. Right kind of righteousness, 
right kind of righteousness, clear instructions, but all on the foundation of obeying in a manner that nurtures this kid to grow up in his destiny with God. Here's another one. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, and there is no scholar that can pinpoint a passage in anywhere in the Old Testament that says he shall be called a Nazarene. At best, there is a, there is a relative uh, um, pointing to um, uh, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, that talks about a root coming out of the stump. And netzer is the word, meaning that it's this insignificant, like, uh, sapling, and nowhere, just, that's not even noticed. That's, this is Matthew summarizing the whole nurturing idea of Joseph that God is trying to say through Isaiah, that you'd have to be an expert scholar, even recognize it, that that's what's fulfilled here. And Joseph doesn't know. I honestly believe Joseph has no idea. It wasn't like he was going, let's find all the scriptures and try to fulfill them. He was just doing what he was supposed to do. Hey, hey, dad, grandpa, mom, do you have to be a Greek Hebrew scholar in order to just do what you're supposed to do? Mm -mm. No. No. You don't. Neither do I. Do you have to know the book of Nahum backwards and forwards? Do you have to pronounce Haggai right? Do you have to know how to spell Melchizedek? Do you have to get off and hung up on how your church sings the right biblical tunes to just do what you're supposed to do? And have you ever underestimated just doing what you're supposed to do that you possibly without knowing it could be fulfilling the destiny of your kid in the plan of God without even knowing it? He had a reverent trust that was revealed. He didn't just say it, he did it. He obeyed with a nurturing foundation. Now let's talk about Mary. Let's just talk about her for a minute. Let me just say this, Protestant fr friends. I'm Protestant. I have a lot of Catholic friends. Mary is the most underrated person in the Protestant world. She's under, underrated and un, unmentioned in our preaching and in our practice to the degree that I think it's criminal. Criminal. We swing the pendulum so far out of reaction to something else that we act like she didn't do anything. I don't know, I just read that, she, that God said, all generations will call her blessed. We don't call her anything. Except a little plastic statue with a light in it out in the yard. The Holy Spirit spoke that every generation would be blessed and call her that. So I've been calling her that. Not in prayer, not in worship, but when I just think, I, I've said, hey, I'm, uh, I don't know if they listen or not. They said there's a great cloud of witnesses, and I don't think she's at the Father's hand. She's a, a, a part of the assembly of the spirits made righteous. 
But I just think of anybody that needs an apology from the Protestant church, it's Mary. Hey, I don't know if God knows who we all are, but he knows who she is. And I want you to see something about her that some of our friends in the other part of the church world, which is a legit church, the Catholic church, they have venerated her to a degree that I don't think is biblical and I'm not here to go onto that. But I just wanna say this, here's the truth about Mary that we all need to learn. Mary mothered in a bond with the Lord, beginning mid to late teen, all the way to the end of Jesus' life and beyond. Watch this. Most scholars believe that at oldest she was 15 when the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answers and says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Notice this. Parenting 101. And Mary said, behold. In other words, I say this asking God to pay full attention to what I say. I am a bond slave to the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. This was to define from that moment in Nazareth, in nowhere, where this sapling would come up out of the ground. Nobody noticed. Nobody cared to notice. This was said by one who in that moment had to think, who's going to believe this? And not only who's, gonna, who's not going to believe this, what are they going to do to me for this? Because eventually you can't hide a pregnancy. What's going to happen to me? Here's what she said from then. Listen, listen, moms, dads. Uh, be it unto me according to your word. I'm a bond slave of the Lord. It's a microscopic focus showing the context of her stewardship as a mother that she would bond with the Spirit in the Word all the days of his life so that God's Son would walk in the steps of his real Father, God, regardless of what it would cost her or what Jesus would create brought right to her feet, regardless. I am a bond slave of the Lord, be it unto me. And we don't mention her. We don't mention her, except Christmas. What in the world? Okay. Did I do okay, Clarence? I did, okay. <laughs> we don't know the time frame when Joseph realized what was going on. We don't know how much time went by there. But here's what we do know. There was a time, listen mom, there was a time in Mary's life where she was alone in this. With her man. But she was alone in this. And her response 
from the beginning would be. How is this going to be? He tells her, the Holy Spirit's power and the word promised you. And she says, that's it. I, I am a bond slave to the Spirit's work and the Word's work and the promises of God, and I will walk this out. And she was knowing. She, was, she had no promise. He didn't say, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll help Joseph get this. There is no revelation to her that Joseph's going to get it. None. And she says before, regardless of Joseph, behold, I am a bond slave. Are you getting anything out of this? See, I had to preach this. This came to me after I said, I declare the series closed. <laughs> I drive our staff crazy. I'm gonna, here's what I'm gonna do. And then they thing, hey, remember what I said I was gonna do? I'm not gonna do that, I'm gonna do this. Oh, you already have the graphics? Eek. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Dev. <laughs> they, they know me by now, though. Next verse. Heaven was going to help her. I love this. Ready? Gabriel says this to her. Behold, pay attention to this. Even your relative Elizabeth, who was barren, has conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. So heaven is encouraging her to get into an environment where the bond slave commitment she makes, bonded to the spirit of the word, will have a little bit extra grace than what she generates within herself. She will be in a community of people that will speak the reality from God in her life so she can remain true. How many of you know we need some heavenly help in parenting our kids? Huh? A little bit? And then he says this, for nothing will be impossible with God. And for time, I can't go there other than to say that's a beautiful word play with pictures. It literally says, when God makes a word, it will not be impotent. That's what it says. There will be potency in every word God speaks. Put that in the metaphor of poor old Zechariah and Elizabeth and poor old Abraham and Sarah all the way through. God likes to find people where it's not. <laughs> and make it. Hey. Isn't that how you got saved? Not born of man, not of the flesh, but of God. Not one word from God will go without potency, Mary. So go get in the environment. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry. You like that? Went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city, entered the house. Blah, blah, blah. I, I, no, I don't mean disrespect to the word, but I, I'm seeing the clock, and I got a couple more things to say. So the Lord guides bond servants to encouraging connections and environments. Mary, mother, father, single parent, whatever, in your aloneness, and it's real, I feel you, man, I get it. You are not alone. You might not get what you want, but you'll get what you need. When you bond yourself to the Spirit and the Word. 
A lot of things I'd like to have. A lot of orders going up. A lot of arrows pointed to the sky. Most of them fall right back down in front of my feet. But heaven helps us with what we need every time. Would someone just give God a thank you, Jesus, for a minute? Yeah. All right. Let's move to the next verse. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out. I like that. Good old Pentecostal girl there. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Isn't that good? Yes. All right. I hope you go back to these. Here's the next point. Let's put Joseph and Mary together. He has the angelic revelation. He's in. You're not going to walk this out by yourself. We're going to go in through this together. That's good. It's a good thing, by the way. Clarence. Every time the lights blink. <laughs> Joseph, jo, Joseph, I've been watching that a lot. Joseph and Mary, it's gonna, okay. Lighthearted, inspirational, same, but now we're gonna go down a road that we have to go down, all of us. Mary and Joseph, Joseph and Mary saw their child as God's child. Saw their child as God's child. Now we have, let's, let's take that out of the romance and let's take that out of the biblical, biblical and let's, let's talk about your kid, your kid, your kid. God's child. And worshipped, sacrificed appropriately. Their parenting they were parenting somebody else's kid. I mean, really. And this is hard for us to face. And we can talk about it and talk about it and come up on the stage and I'll hold your little junior and he'll cry or he'll laugh or she'll whatever and everything and the pictures are taken and we say what we say and we ask what we ask and it's, I'm not to be like, but really what we're doing, if we're doing it biblically is, we recognize we are dedicating ourselves because this is your kid. And it's really easy to do that when they're in the nursery, on the platform. But I'll tell you what, Mary was going to go down a road with that. We'll get there. Watch this. And when the days for their purification, notice this, according to the law of Moses. Or we can say it this way, according to the word of God. That's how they parented. According to the word of God, eight days, eight, eight days after eight days, the baby was to be brought before, the, and they brought him up to Jerusalem. Notice this. If you lived in a town in Israel which was at a higher geographical level than the city of Jerusalem, 
Let's say you lived in a place where, uh, you know, it was a mountain, the mountain area, and it was higher up in elevation. It would snow where you lived before it would snow in Jerusalem. When you went to Jerusalem, you still said, we're going up to Jerusalem. Not because of geography, but because of majesty. Going up to Jerusalem. You actually could be going down, but you're going up. Do you get what I'm saying? When they came to God, when they brought their kid, they were elevating that kid up to the presence of God. And they were sacrificing him, not taking his life, making sure they didn't take the God life from him. Again, this is the call for every parent, not just the mystical Mary and Joseph. They were, you listening? They lifted up Jesus because the word says every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Whether we know that or not, do you know that every son born of a woman first in the family in God's eyes is supposed to be set apart to God? There's a lot of things we don't know and we sure do show it. I'm talking to people that take the Bible seriously, not just read it. As it's written in the word, and then not, also, not, not, not only that, and then, here it is, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law. And it says here, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. One of the most, usually that's the book of the Bible when you start reading in 2023 and you go Genesis, Exodus, and you get to the next book, that's usually where everybody goes, I don't know if I'm gonna do the Bible all the way through in a year thing. <laughs> because we're talking about bulls and goats and measures and how much flour and how, right? Well, it's in that book that it talks about the kind of offerings you're to bring to God in worship. And God in his mercy even knew that there would be people that couldn't afford a bull, a goat, but he didn't go, well, those of you who can't afford it, you're off the hook. And he goes, no, here's what you can afford, a turtle dove or a pigeon. So you have to sacrifice too because your religion is not defined by you. It's defined by me. And as a matter of fact, Moses, when you build the tent of meeting with the curtains and the hooks and all that, before you go on the outside, start from the inside. I want an altar of gold made first. Me first. Me first. Not you first. Me first. Work your way out from the holy altar. You watch it, you listening, listening? All right, so parenting is worshiping God through sacrificial obedience and giving, modeling to our kids that God Almighty deserves not 10%, 100% of our lives, and it is to be modeled not only in word but in deed and also in the material things of our lives. That's what it means to go up to the house of the Lord. You know, I was thinking I've been doing ministry for like six months. 
And what I've found in this short period of time is that there are people who have figured this out. And not everybody who no longer goes to church no longer go to church because they know that God's going to require a sacrifice financially. But some have figured it out that if I go there, the Holy Spirit is going to deal with me not only about whether I say cuss words as much as I used to, but about my wallet. And so I'm feeling that I'm just going to find a couple pals and friends and we're just going to listen to Furtick and we're, gonna, we're not going to give to him either, but we're going to do, we're going to this, we're going to that. We're going to, we're not, we're paying for what's paid for. I'll watch the free. I'll watch the free. I'll wa I know, right? If a person or a parent at the end of the year has more that's been given out to a gym membership, TV streaming subscriptions compared to what they gave to the work of God. I know they're not here today, but we'll just, they're not serious about raising their kids to fulfill the destiny of the kingdom of God in their life. That's a fact. That's a fact. And there will people who will define, will, will, after hearing that, if I preach that at another church, not you guys would never come back again and would find, well, I didn't like his blue sweater. Well, he preached in tennis shoes. I'm never going there again. That's not why they're not going there again. Because I touched the back pocket. Actually, God did. And do you know why some people don't bring their kids to children's church? Because if their kids get touched in church, they're going to bring church back to their home. How's that? Is it, is that too insensitive? It would be too insensitive if my passion was about pleasing you. My passion, as I said at the start, is that this church will be sizzling hot, sanctified for God 20 years from now because we raise up a generation of people who don't just say it, but they live it and they give it. What time is it? All right. I'm seeing who's smiling and who's. I, I don't like him anymore. Why did we give him those cookies? I don't. Here's the final point. Joseph and Mary paid the price from the cradle to the cross. We don't know how long Joseph lived. It's not, it doesn't matter how long you live. It just matters that you live during the length of your life. We don't know how long he lived. He's not mentioned when the Magi come and Jesus is too. I don't think it means he's gone, but I don't think the point was to make sure that everybody knew Joseph was there. Because Joseph's role in all of this was not about Joseph being known. 
It was about him doing everything God told him to do to get his son in positions where God could make him what his father wanted him to be. Joseph and Mary paid the price from the cradle to the cross. Therefore, the caravan of the prophetic community was a must for them. Listen. We go to Luke, and it tells us about this very interesting moment. Eight days in, they're up in the temple, and they're sacrificing their son to be a living sacrifice. Actually, what they're doing is sacrificing themselves to the will of another. And in that context, there's a man named Simeon. He's an old man. He's righteous. He's devoted. He's looking for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he's hungry for the Messiah's visitation. And the Holy Spirit's on him. And Simeon blessed them. Joseph and Mary, it's them, plural. He blesses them, and then he says to Mary. Because Joseph's not going to be there. He doesn't say that. Hey, Joe, sorry, but... (laughs) You know how you wanted to... Retire at 40? Uh, you're really going really to retire. He didn't say anything to jo- Joseph. But he turns to Mary. Now look, here's where... I, this is a watershed right here. He says to his, Mary, his mother, behold, there's that thing. When God says behold, it's like, pay attention. This child... After they sing uh, Noel out in, the, out, in the, out in the grass and away in the manger that night and silent night. And all I want for Christmas is you by Mariah Carey and all that's over. This, this baby that you're raising up, children's church, it's coloring the cool pictures, you got them on the fridge. Behold. He's appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and a sign to be opposed. And then he says this, and a sword. Have you ever been stabbed by a sword? I Dude, I freak out if I step on a Lego. Have you? All right, now listen, I'm, I'm trying to lighten it because this is not light. A sword. If you parent this baby the way God wants, You'll be in the will of God and it'll be like a a sword stabs you in your soul. But the reason is that you got to parent him that way is because God's intention is that the thoughts of many hearts be revealed. So when you say under the power of the Spirit, Lord, I'll do whatever you want, at the birth of your promise, this woman was still saying, I am a bond slave of the Lord, be it unto me. Do you hear what I'm saying? If it's about me, if it's about my parenting, my kid won't know that I have stolen from him. 
the destiny of God that I was ordained to lead him into even if it stabs me in my soul. I know we're not shouting on that one, but these are the people that change the world and the world doesn't change them. And not everybody that goes to church is that kind of person. Even in this room, I know that. And I don't care because I live so that after I'm long gone, I don't care if anyone in the future knows my name, but I want a foundation that we laid, a price that we paid so that these kids downstairs, maybe one of them will be a pastor, maybe seven of them will be in Europe, in Pakistan, or wherever, or in, or in Wall Street, but they have this kind of, I'm going up to the Lord, I'm dedicating my life, turtle dove, pigeon, full house, whatever it is. I, that's what I care about. I'm not wanting just to have somebody think I'm a cool coach. I want to win world championships and not just one. I want a destiny. I want a legacy. Not for me, but for the kingdom of God. That's right. So if you have a problem with that, you got to let me know. And then I'll point you to somewhere where they're playing. Because we're not going to play. We're going to pay. Simeon knew, listen. Jeez. Church is too short. Nick Saban, the dude that coaches Georgia, they wouldn't do a little bit and say, guys, now look, I know we haven't hit the block and sledge yet, but you've already been here 50 minutes. And I know you've got to get back to your girlfriend, you've got to get to the cafeteria, and who cares whether we win the national championship or not? Do you think that stuff flies in the winner's circle? Yeah. When the clock strikes 12, the dead in Christ rise first. Anyway. These parents were in a context where a prophetic man with a word from God for them that they would have never perceived in a live stream, would have never perceived in their own devotional life, in the caravan of the community. A caravan is something moving, not standing still. In the caravan of the, com I told you these are books, the whole, the, the caravan of the community with prophetic people, which means they don't just carry a Bible, the Bible's carrying them. The breath of God was on this man and he had insight that they needed and they didn't know. And it was in the community of the prophetic that they heard what they needed to hear. You got it? Yes. My, my friend who is a professor at a Catholic university uh, was talking about this and he said Mary was a bloodless martyr in this sense. Meaning, whew, I thought, dude, it's pretty good for a Catholic. But anyway. And I didn't mean that disrespectfully. That's a joke if he was listening. Um, a bloodless martyr. Again, this, this is part, 
This is part of it. When my kids were growing up, with all the good and not so good, and not so good, I didn't worry too much about the moments of the positive because I figured God would help them get that. What I worried the most about was my contradictions in my life and my flesh that, that because I had, I saw kid, PKs, the, story, the scary story is, is a stereotype that PKs don't live it and PKs walk away from the church and MKs even worse and all that stuff and I can see reasons why and I used to live with a fear of that, church kids and a churchy spirit on my kids instead of the Christ Jesus in their heart, and I, got, I didn't want any of that. I didn't want to get caught up in rigid. I didn't want to get caught up in getting all spooked, whether they listen, watch a secular movie or they, I didn't want to get into all that. I just, I, and I don't know if I did it right. I, I know I didn't do it right in a lot of ways, but I remember praying this prayer. I used to pray, God, help me to not raise my kids to grow up and be like the rich young ruler who wanted all of the kingdom except when it cost him what the kingdom wanted from them. I don't want to parent my kid to do that. There is a price to pay mom and dad. You know I love you, right? When I say I don't care, I care. If I didn't care, I would not be preaching this. I'd be doing Mary had a little lamb and we'd be off to four steps to victory and how to overcome stress. I wish some of these guys would get over their series on how to overcome stress. It's been going on for like 15 years. Listen, I, a lot of you, I watch you. I watch your parenting. I watch you. Do, you're doing it right. You inspire me. From my own son and daughter-in-law to many of you, I know some of you are doing it alone. I know some of you have somebody with you. And it's not your spouse, it's your, you got help, you got, I admire you. I admire you more than I can say. You got that? When I say I don't care, I'm saying I don't care whether this is thought or that's thought about me. I mean, I don't care in the, in the contrast of I don't want one kid off the ark. I don't want one kid that's ever heard me preach or ever heard of to, to miss it, to be shipwrecking their life 15 years down the road. I want them to have the breath of God on them. I want their hair on fire. Yeah. So anyway, but with that said, unavoidable. There is, a, there is a price to pay to keep your kid in the space, I'll call it this, of crowded conviction where God wants to crowd in on their comfort zones that some of us have parented them into instead of out of? All of us. There is a price to pay to keep your kid in the space of crowded conviction so that God can bring them out of their Nazareth. Jesus was not just of Nazareth. There was a time to be nurtured in it and Joseph and Mary until the fullness of time and then they had to get him out of Nazareth. Well, actually, they didn't have any say over the matter. When the water of the wine, water turned to wine, mama says they're out of wine and Jesus says, woman? He doesn't call her mama. 
woman, meaning if I take, if I step into this, our roles completely change. Remember at the cross, he didn't look down and say, mom, he called her woman, right? I am shame. If I take a step out of Nazareth, if this is more than helping my friend at a wedding, I am start, if I manifest this, we're, the sword is coming. And you know what she says? Whatever he wants to do, listen to him. Mom. Dad. There is no comfortable way in certain seasons of the life when our kid has to pivot and go toward God that we're going to feel real great about that unless we see beyond ourselves and realize I have been given this kid to lead them into the steps of the destiny of God for their life. I hope someone will share this message. And if you don't think I'm good looking enough, just put the podcast out. That's what I do. Opposite of that. There are parents that have been pierced with another kind of sword. They're all over the Western world. And they're pierced with the sword of the shipwreck of their kids' lives. Again, that could be if you've done everything right. That could be if you've walked out in the fiery stones of the altar of God and you did it all right. There's not a guarantee. There's not a magic spell that God puts on every kid because the, it, but, but, the, but the guarantee is this is the framework. What I've given you is the guaranteed framework if they're gonna walk in this, this is what has to happen. Not three out of four, all of it. By the grace of God in the prophetic community of others because there's gonna be times when all of us are gonna say, are going to need to say, we're going to go to where our kid is and we're going to say when Mary and the brothers and sisters said, come on out, we need to get you straight. You got to fall back on something, buddy. You can't trust the church to meet your needs. I don't trust the church to meet my needs. The church didn't call me into the ministry. God did. And if you're not called, get out. Go do something else. If you have a choice in the matter, check your call. I've quit a million times, and here I am, because I can't. But there are parents who have another kind of sword. Their kids didn't know God. They don't know anything about the presence of God. They might even be a success in a world, but they're not saved. They're not fulfilling the plan of God, and there are even more tragic situations. You know those kids that were murdered in Idaho? I was thinking about the parent of the murderer. Don't get me started on what parents do to sacrifice their kids on the altar of Babylon and some in the, in the church. We have to be careful about protecting our kids so much that they miss God's plan due to the fact that we parent them too protectively and too possessively. Here's the question that Jesus asked his mom. And here's the question heaven asks you, mom. 
And here's the question heaven asks me, dad and grandpa, Pacha McGregor, who gives away the store. I got no money left. Christmas is over. <laughs> but I loved every second of it. Here's the question. Would you stand? Listen to the question. You've heard it. You've heard Jesus say it. But now heaven says it to you, Ollie. Do you not know? Do you not know that your kid is to be about their father's business? Do you not know, listen, home fellowship group with three people. Do you not know that your kids must be in their father's house? Well, the church is wherever, who's their pastor? Dad? Who's their pastor? Who are they under? Who are you under? Who do you answer to? Do you not, are you fooling yourself? Do you really think, do you really think that breaking the principles that I've just shared straight from God's word by doing it your way in your little comfortable world so you don't have to give too much or show up too much or be accountable too much, do you really think that you're the special case where it's all gonna, you are on a treadmill to nowhere. Do you not know that your kids aren't yours? They were born to be about their father's business and be in their father's house. Joseph's relationship with God and the way he did right was a North Star guide to his family. The fruit of the righteousness in his life was deeply relational and filled with mercy. Joseph was right in a way that removed disgrace rather than reveal it. He lived out a consistent obedience, stewarding heaven's treasures, fulfilling promises of scripture, even when all he thought he was doing was just doing what he was supposed to do. He just did what he was supposed to do. Mary treasured the moments of the spirit and the word. And some were wondrous. And she carried the pregnancy not just to Nazareth, but she carried the pregnancy full term to the hill called Golgotha. Saying in her heart, with her son dead in her arms, be it unto me, according to your word, behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Come on now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my dad who is in heaven with you, who was never perfect. I pray that your kids can pray this prayer someday. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my dad who was never perfect, but he did what he needed to do in an imperfect way. He positioned his kids and his wife in God's house 
and we experienced growth moments. And I know that he never thought he was doing your will most of the time. I thank you for my mom who created music in our home that had a godly influence. I thank you for a mother who gave her heart as a young woman with extreme anxieties and fears that she battled even to this day, but she trusted you. I thank you that before my 18th birthday, not on a Sunday morning, but on a Wednesday night service, she went to an altar and she said, God, I give my kids to you. And I thank you within months, you introduced yourself to me because my mother went to an altar up to the hill of God. Every pa parent and grandparent in this room, none of us are perfect. As a matter of fact, in some of the areas where we think we have it down, they might be the areas where our kids need counseling the most someday. May we have a new humility before you regarding all the things we do. And may there be the healthy, right kind of holy fear that we come once again to you, O oh God. knowing that it's only your touch. I pray for the lonely parent who is faithful in this room, that they would know the Lord is with you. I pray for this community that it would be family oriented and we'd be willing to help others and we'd look out and see dads and moms who are doing it alone and we would be like Elizabeth and would create an environment where we could speak into the prophetic thing going on in that person's life for their kids. I pray that we would have a caravan of a community on the move with you, not stuck, not stagnant, but on the move with you. And we would have words in our lives from God. We would have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives from God. And we would be moving in the Spirit because families need to be built up. And Father, for all that I pray in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.